0: So, hello everybody. <laughs> I've done it again! Oh my golly, here we go. So I started the thing with saying so. That I tried not to do. So today, my guest is Angel Rubio, and we're on the Unbeatable Life podcast. Now, if you're sitting there hoping someone's going to come and save you, you got to stop right now. It's not going to happen. Life's going to go pear-shaped, and no one miraculously rises to the occasion, regardless of what we think. all default to the level of experience. So what this podcast is all about is bringing you people who, through their experience, can show you and tell us all about how not we should be rising to the occasion and how we have to practice in life to get what we want and become unbeatable. So let me (laughs) hear from, rather than me trying to tell you all about Angel, I'll let Angel get himself a small introduction, thank you. and then we'll go for there. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Grant. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited already, and we haven't even started to talk. And obviously, thank you, everybody in the audience who's watching or listening to us today. So basically, I'm originally from Barcelona. I live in Plano, Texas, which is an international suburb in the north of Dallas. And uh, in, you know, basically, I have like two very distinct. You know, parts in my life. One is my consulting business. I started to to have my business five years ago when I left corporate America. After having helped more than uh, fifteen hundred CEOs in thirty three different countries, I was blessed with learning English and French first, and then later Portuguese. And I was started an international career. And that's why today I do what I do with my consulting business. What we do because I have a team behind me, and what we do is we help both uh, corporate CEOs and accomplished entrepreneurs. To bridge the gap globally for expansion and exposure as a way to accelerate the growth of their businesses. That's what we do at, uh, at uh, the, the name of the company is the Divine Human Ventures, but it's it's actually we do business as the CEO confidant, which is the brand. And the other part of my life, and that's one, that's one of the reasons, So the most important reason why I left Corporate America Grant is uh, wisdom for kids, because I had seen so much poverty throughout my career in Latin America. I lived in Latin America for 10 years. Uh, I saw so much poverty that I decided to launch along with a, with a friend of mine and his dad. We started Wisdom for Kids in two thousand and seventeen, and we help underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using their local resources. And I stop here,
0: Grant. Okay, so you said I'll we'll go back to summit. We've got English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, but I think I read somewhere you've got a fifth language somewhere. It's Catalan. Zachary. And for anybody that doesn't any know, that's a very regional dialect within Spain. Now, we had a wee conversation there about what was on my hat. And anybody that's on a podcast is like, kind of see your hat? It's a Union Jack. So between, you know, Spain and the United Kingdom, there's one of those things that kind of keeps rolling up for years. And I think <laughs> it'll always keep rolling up. Um in Portuguese, I'm guessing when you're talking Latin America, you were in mm-hmm. Brazil. Exactly, it's one of those countries.
1: Totally, exactly. And actually, when I was in Europe, I was also dealing with Portugal, because Portugal has a very strong uh, industrial presence. Actually, industrial uh, manufacturing, industrial
0: presence. So, tell us more about wisdom for kids, right? Yeah, I mean, so- mm-hmm. how does that one go? How are you introducing? Or how are you harnessing that entrepreneurialship and promoting that through these countries? Yeah,
1: thank you. So basically, well, you know, I mean, unbeatable, unbeatable life, right? Unbeatable life. I, lo- I love the name, not because the history is typically the, w- the one which is written by the ones that beat others. <laughs> no, that's not the, which, that's... which is unfortunately
0: <laughs> mostly the case, right? Exactly, which is mostly the
1: case. But the reality is the following. When I, I had literally had a spiritual experience and, and it was very clear to me that I had to do something about this. And if it wasn't me, who was going to be in charge of connecting the unconnected, connecting the unconnected, connecting like the top layer of CEOs yep. and general managers and C-level executives of all those corporations I had served with connecting them with all these underprivileged kids in Latin America. We're talking about 81 million kids. So when I had this experience, I immediately reached out to my family and to one of my best friends in Mexico. And I told him, hey, this just happened to me. I'm back in Dallas now, but this just happened to me. I would love you to be part of my team. And I would like you to be the co-founder of Wisdom for Kids. And he said, you know what? I'm not only going to be with you, but also I would like to bring my dad. Why? (laughs) Why, right? That's, That's always a good one. So it's me, but I'm gonna bring somebody with me. It's like so. Rock on. Guess what? His dad, which I which I had met only once after a you know an American football game here in Dallas. Um, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh I, I I had met him, but we never talked about this. So he goes, my friend Salvador, he talked about his father, and he said, Salvador, by the way, is savior in, in Spanish, interestingly enough. He goes. You probably don't remember from that conversation, but my father has been a professor of the number one school in Mexico, teaching teachers. What do you mean, teaching teachers? Yes, educating people that yep. want to become teachers. So in the last 50 years, my father has literally taught thousands and, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of teachers. And he's, you know, he's he has this character that everybody remembers him. And Angel. My father has also written 74, 75 textbooks, which are still being used, which are still being used in many different countries in Latin America, and he has, he knows everybody in the educational sector in the in the continent. Wow, how coincidental, right? What an amazing synchronicity! Yeah,
0: that's so that's nice,
1: that's an instant network. Exactly. So if if you add this network along with my network of working for Living in Latin America for yep. 10 years, working with Latin American businesses for f- almost 15 years. If you mix all together, you suddenly see that, and that's why I said, if not me, who, right? You suddenly see that I had I had I was allowed, I had all these connections to reach out to any single place in, in, in the region in Latin America and actually start talking to those communities, either you know, suburban communities or rural communities or indigenous communities. I start talking to those communities and I start telling them, hey, we would like to do this. We would like to actually talk with you, set up a, you know, a series of workshops and I start teaching or showing your kids that something else is possible. And that's what we did. Actually, we had this gentleman, the father of my friend, Salvador Senior. He had two PhD students for over a year working on the workshop. Why? Because we wanted to make sure, as you know, every single kid does not learn the same way. You know that. I've got three. So, every one okay. of them is completely right. different learners. Different okay, styles, exactly. different, yeah. Same here. Three, same here. Three kids here. Okay, good. So that, that's number one. Number two, we have to be extremely respectful of the communities that we land at. Mm-hmm. Very respectful. Number three, not only respectful, but also they will. we don't want to change their culture. We want to make sure that what we do is going to add into those kids yep. right uh, and then then we started you know uh, proof testing it obviously after after you know making it and elaborating it and everything we 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 work with kids from you know seven eight nine you know 10 11 12 and and 13 14 15 those are the three brackets of ages that we, the kids of, we work with and we started you know going to the the areas suburban areas rural areas indigenous communities to see the differences and how we could develop it Every single time, every single time we connect with a community leader, excuse me, every single time we connect with a community leader, the first thing that the community leader says is, and how much is that going to cost us? Yep. I've never heard anybody wanting to use their own time teaching entrepreneurship to kids of a community that, you know, nobody cares about, mm-hmm. literally. We say, no, 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 it's for free. Oh, my God, really? And a funny story, and I want to share it with you because you're also, because your audience is going to like it. One story I have to tell you is that as much as the community leaders, when they see this, they say, oh, my God, please come as soon as you can. And they organize everything for us and they take care of us and they give us everything that they have and everything that they don't have when we go to those communities. One day, we went to a community and the the parents didn't really know what it was all about. So they showed up in the workshop. They showed up in the workshop along with their kids. And guess what? They, they guess they, they, they showed up with their machetes because it was an indigenous community. And you know, as you know, I mean they carry all their stuff with them all the time. you know so and obviously it was pretty intimidating. But after five minutes of starting the workshop and they realizing that this was all about loving and caring and, and, and working on the self-esteem of their kids and showing them th- that other possibilities were possible, <laughs> other opportunities were possible they relaxed, actually, they left, and we continue our workshop as any other workshop that we do in Latin America. So there's a lot of experiences and a lot of stories to tell the grand.
0: So it's an interesting title, though, right? I mean, clear what it is for me anyway, but it's an interesting title, Wisdom for Kids. I mean, wisdom yeah. is one of those words that's normally associated with an older generation. Mm-hmm. What? Why Wisdom for Kids is that title? Because, again, Disney seemed to match up. What was the thought behind that one? Because the original idea was in Spanish. The
1: original name was in Spanish because it was going to be for Latin America, right? So the, the original name is Niños Sabios. Okay. But when you translate that into English, it's a wise kid. And when you call a kid, oh, you're so wise,
0: <laughs> right? There's... It can have some negative context associated. It exactly. Wise with me. Exactly. So the meaning behind, it's a great question, the
1: meaning behind wisdom for kids is basically we tap into the wisdom that already exists inside those kids.
0: Yes. I, I, and I think it's something as adults we forget. Totally. You know, I mean, I've been one of the dads that's always talked to my kids. We never used baby language. We didn't do any of that kind of thing. We always talked to them. Some people say us, maybe involve them in conversations they shouldn't have been involved in as kids. But one of the key conversations we had just last week at the table was the idea of, and just a meme that keeps getting put out, and I'm probably going to do a, talk on it just on the ideology of it is adults saying oh what should we have learned at school what would you really like to learn at school that you never were taught and you see this whole list of activities you know so i was telling my kids about it and my nine-year-old sits across the table for me and she goes but you learn that now and all the time goes Okay, what do, what do you mean? She says, well, they teach you to read, they teach you to write, they teach you to count. So if you want to learn accounting, just learn how to add and subtract. You want to fill in a form. You already know how to read and write. Just ask. It's not that hard. And then it's the idea is, just like, you look at it as an adult. Well, if you want to listen to all these things at school, do you wonder why you can't do these things as an adult? It's no school's responsibility. And so this conversation kept going on. I'm like, there's a wisdom in a nine-year-old. Like adults sit there complaining about what they should have learned at school and the nine-year-old going, no, we learn that. Or we learn the basics and how to do that. And the the idea is is that she's unbound by that. She's not bound by any kind of thought process and constriction. And, oh, my God, this is too hard. Or this means this. It's like, no, it's pen to paper and I write. Or it's, I count. I think it's adults. We get in our head too much, like far too much, and overcomplicate stuff. When the kid goes, eh, ah no. And I normally get that kind of look. It's normally we head tilt and the lips turn up and it's like, eh, ah no. And she's just a character. But it's kind of interesting to see now is that we also had they'd run entrepreneurial fairs at the schools here. And most A lot of times the kids will do things like squishy balls and all the rest, stuff that's easy to do and easy to sell. Well, I kind of took a different route. I went, that's not happening in our house. If you're going to an entrepreneurial fair, you're going to learn how to do things properly. You're going to learn about profit and loss. You're going to learn about material costs. You're going to learn about manufacturing costs and time costs. And anything you're going to do, you're going to do that you can actually sell after it. So the first one done paracord bracelets and stuff and learned how to do all that and he to pay all his money back and he's done few after it and it gets him some spare cash. And my middle one, she done stamping and silver bracelets and stuff like that. Yeah, the cost is extra for us and we're fortunate enough we can spend that. But it instilled a different mentality in them. It's like, it's not just a set it and forget it type thing. It's like, if I put this effort in, I can get this result. And I have these tools now that at any point in time, I can go ahead. What sort of activities are you promoting? Particularly, and I'll say, as, I'll, the suburban areas, I would guess, are easier. And as you move down these communities, you're looking at different types of activities and different kinds of entrepreneurship. How are you balancing all that one?
1: Yes. Thank you. Great question. When you were explaining your conversation with your nine-year-old, you reminded me of the conversation that I have with my twelve-year-old. It's just the exact same thing. You know, he's he's always challenging me, and he's telling me all the time how boring the school is and all these kind of things. Right? <laughs> but you know, I think that our this this new let's say generations they definitely they definitely see the world in a different way, and I think it's God bless that that's the case. But answering your question, number one. Uh, we were th- when we were thinking about how to structure our workshops, the first thing we thought is, okay, so what's the number one need that these kids have? Because if they have a very basic need that we cannot fulfill, mm-hmm. if we start building up on something that they don't see works for them, then we're wasting our time. And it's actually, you can, that goes hand in hand with respecting their culture as well, right? Because again, a community 25 minutes away from Mexico city's airport is a completely different community of a, six and a half hours drive through a you know communal bus to the mountains yep. in an indigenous community kind of thing kind of place. So the first thing is, the, the number one thing these kids need, they typically are happy because they don't know what they don't know. And they don't, don't know, know and what they they don't they know they're
0: missing. Exactly. The they don't
1: yeah. know. So for the most part, that's the case. But there's one thing that I would say in common, and in general, we find no matter where we go. And that's, that's the lack of affection. That's the lack of love. That's the lack of self-esteem, okay? So that's common. So one of the first, and and when we were testing it in 2017, 2018, we found that very, very clearly. And we said, we have to really work hard on self-esteem, okay, number one. And the reason, and so that's why we decided to base our our workshop, not on a whiteboard, on a blackboard or whatever that was, or in a PowerPoint presentation, to do it very experiential and very energy-based, mm-hmm. literally yep. very energy-based. So just to give you an example, when we have power, which is not always the case, but if we have power in the community that we go, we typically start, start the workshop. Whoever is leading the workshop, let's say it's me. I have a speaker on my hand. My cell phone is paired to my speaker. I have a very powerful beat. And we start jumping up and down yep. and following a specific choreography. Choreography, literally. So guess what? The kids are not going to say, oh, how what a corny, cringy kind of guy that we don't know. Not at all. The kids are going to be jumping up and down and they will enjoy the ride much more than us. Guess what? We got them. They're already yep. at the same state as where, where we need them to be in order to embrace and to absorb the rest of our two-hour workshop. And that's the beginning of the journey. Throughout that workshop, obviously, it's all about metaphors and comparisons, right? Everything, everything. We talk about what do you want to do when you grow up? What would you like to be? What would you like to do? What would you like to have? We have these conversations Mm -hmm. and we talk about, and and we dance and we play and we do quizzes and we sing together. We do all sorts of things, all sorts of things in order to build up on that self-esteem. We want to make sure that every single kid Knows that they can really become whoever they want, and that's the most important goal of our starting workshop to our workshop. They can become whoever they want. When we ask them, and let me tell you, I always like to tell a, lot, a few stories that what happens when we go to the field, because that illustrates very much and very well what we find. There's many communities in remote areas in Latin America where unfortunately, who is in command is not specifically, let's say, a mayor or a governor. No, actually, it's a drug cartel, okay, because we've we've been at those places. So, actually, those are the benefactors. Those are the ones that pay for everything. In return, those families, in return, those families, they work the fields. Mm-hmm. That's what they do, right? So, sometimes when we ask, the, I mean, we have no idea, right? I mean, we really... We we try not to ask the wrong questions. So if you understand me, Grant. Okay, so we just talk to the community leader, we set up a meeting and we go there and we have spend a week there and we, you know, we do as much as we can. We ask them when we ask the kids what would you like to do to, to when you grow up? Very often we get this answer as of, I would like to be a military. I would work, I would like to work in the military, or I would like to be a drug lord. Because that's what you know. That's the two states you know. And, and obviously, our response, if there is a response, our response is not a response saying, no, 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 no. This is the bad thing. Because actually, that's the last thing we want yep. to do is to break their trust. And obviously, and obviously, we are not judgmental. We are not there to judge anybody. That's their reality. That's what they do. We are there to work on their self-esteem and to open the door for them to start working on a specific entrepreneurial activities. Right. The last thing we do on that initial workshop is a meditation. We we use heavily, heavily, heavily thought and elaborated affirmations uh, using neuro linguistic programming, mm-hmm. and we do a twenty minute a twenty minute uh, meditation, extremely powerful, in which you know it's like the cherry on the cake of our initial workshop. Yep. Our our the outcome that we're looking for in that or workshop is to identify who are the kids who we think are going to be good candidates to become entrepreneurs, right? And then we start the stage number two, which is we talk to the parents or the tutors, because many, many times, unfortunately, there's no parents to take care of those kids. There's someone else, there's their uncle, the auntie, the grandma, the grandpa, you know, whoever, whoever that is. And then we have a conversation and say, okay, so we think that your kid you know, using your local resources. Again, that's why what we do. Yep. We help underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using their local resources. And that means a different thing in every single different area that we go. It's a different thing in different area. And then we have that conversation. Would you be open to actually being coached by one of our volunteers in the field and start that entrepreneurial journey? Would you be open to do that? Some parents say yes, and others say no and we have to respect that, okay? So, because some parents see the opportunity of giving their kids something else that they will never get, and some others see that as a threat. And again, we have to respect that, totally respect that. And by the way, as as an anecdote and another side of the story, sometimes when we are able to connect with, let's say some local teachers in the communities that we go, and teachers that probably they might have known one of the co-founders because he's very well known, in Latin America, these um, these these teachers or even the principals of those schools, they say, "Hey, whenever you come here, we're not going to tell anybody because if we told someone of the authorities, like I went to my supervisor and to his her supervisor, blah blah blah, we might get a no. We don't want to have a no <laughs> because because we know we know that these kids will never ever have this kind ever this kind of." training or inspirational training or transformation possibility in their lives that's never going to happen i know that and as you know the teachers and the principals of those local, local communities yep. they want the best for the communities as you know i mean those 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 professionals those in, in, in the field of education as you know they even invest their own money to make sure that the kids have the minimum needs covered because they have a you know they have a, a wage right they have a salary but most of the kids, they can barely make the, the, the ends meet. And, and, and many kids, we've seen that over and over again, many kids go to school, they have nothing to eat. And it's actually the, it's 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 the principal or it's the teacher who brings food for them every single day. So that's the reality of the world we live in, Grant. That's exactly what's happening.
0: But it's a world a lot of people are blind to because they're stuck in their bubble. mm mm-hmm. You know, um, and they don't want to go outside it. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned something early on. It's like, if not me, then who? And before we came online and hit the record button, I was telling you about the sheepdog idea, right? And the whole idea is the three kind of people there's wolves, there's sheep, and there's sheepdogs. And nobody really wants to acknowledge the idea that we need the sheepdog. We can't deny it. I mean, the the story is as old as any written context, any religious text you ever want to go there. It's predator, prey, and protector. We can wish there was a better way of looking at it. We can wish there was a better world. We can wish people were better, but we're human beings. And the reality is it's probably never, ever going to change. There's always going to be somebody stronger taking advantage of somebody this week and there's always going to have to be somebody that tries to look after that other person and that's where that wolf sheep and sheepdog thing comes in and it came free; it was popularized in another movie and a whole bunch a couple of books but one of the principles I put inside that ideology the sheepdog is if not me then who because we can all sit there and we can complain and become social media warriors and We can shame and we can cancel and we can do all the rest, but it ain't doing anybody any good. Until we put boots in the ground and a heart and a soul into something, nothing is changing. Now, I get this is only a podcast and you could turn in and say, hey, well, that's no any different to social media, but it's a conversation. We don't have conversations any longer. We don't talk about it. It's bite-sized, 15-second clips. It's two lines of I don't agree with you and then it's done and it's into the ether and that's why I love the idea of a podcast you get to talk to somebody you get to hear their perspective and you get to hear it for a living experience it's like I'm not just talking this because I've seen a picture somewhere I've been there I've seen that I know what it's like so I'll take you to the question is is it no scare the crap you, in any areas where the cartel are running? Thank
1: you. Thank you. You know,
0: I mean, it's like
1: I, I live 10, 10 years in Mexico uh, of these 10 years, six in Mexico city. And for the ones that know Mexico city a little bit, if you ask them where the manufacturing plants are, the ones that they used to visit every single week for many years, they are in the very difficult areas with very high levels of violence. How many issues did I have myself in those six years or 10 years or 15 years in Latin America? How many safety issues did I have? Zero. Zero. Maybe it's because I'm a good sheepdog, maybe, <laughs> to your point, but zero. So I think that when some people say, you know, you really attract what you are like, we are like antennas. I believe that we... You put in these- the world, yeah. Yeah. So... And, and there's people that have been in Latin America maybe only for a weekend or for their holidays or for, you know, the vacation and, and they were assaulted and everything. I, I never had a single issue. And again, I, I, I really know very dangerous places and I've been in really dangerous places. So to your point, we know that we go to areas which are really difficult, but at the same time, you know, I mean, we, we do so much good And we do so much. I mean, it's all based from the heart. And I remember, again, going to another story. I remember a a community where we go, which is one of these, let's say, in theory, could be really dangerous because of the presence of drug cartels. Guess what? The people that host us, they give us everything. They invite us to share a a plate of soup, the most simple soup you can think of, or a papaya. Or the coffee, I remember this other place where we went, they prepared coffee for us. You know where? You know these big massive pots of aluminium, all massive pots of aluminium. So they poured like literally two gallons of water, two gallons of water into that pot. They they, they open a big massive package of sugar and then they pour the, I don't know how much coffee, It's, it's a very rich of coffee area. And they put it all together. And they mix it with a, with, a, with a cane. Yep. Literally, a cane that they had just cut from the side of the road. You know, how much more authentic, have I ever drank a coffee much more authentically than that coffee that these guys offer us with so much love and care? You know what I mean? So he, I'm trying to recognize and to identify and to acknowledge, acknowledge is the right verb, that there's so much good in this world there is so much willingness to do good and to be good to other people, and to even if they they cannot, I mean, if they had to pay for that, there's hundreds or thousands of dollars they had to pay for those workshops, it's not it's 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 for them it's priceless. They give us everything that they have, everything that they have, and for them, bringing the pot and bringing the sugar and bringing the coffee and everything else, it was extremely important, extremely important. It was everything that they had. So that, those are the places where we go. So we have the continuous reinforcement from a human perspective. We do, we have, we receive that we are good, genuinely good. The human being is genuinely good, genuinely good. And we all seek to do good in this world. If, we, if, if there's something else, it's probably because there's a particular agenda, you know, and we don't want to acknowledge it. I think that we as human beings, we are very bad at, making things explicit and, and and setting the right expectations grant you know what i mean there's so many you know there's so many implicit things in our relationships even between you and i right i mean we just got to know each other right and we have started a wonderful like, incredible uh, you know journey and conversation but i mean you expect certain things from from your guests and i expect certain things from from the host right but you know we're both lighthearted, right? And so we're having this amazing conversation and, and you're asking this incredible question that nobody had ever asked me before, you know? And, and 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 that's what life is about. I I mean, I agree
0: with you. I think we... I'll go for it from a communications perspective. You spent a long time in corporate. You have taught CEOs and entrepreneurs and businesses and all that kind of thing. I think when it fundamentally, the more I look at it and the more I dive into it, and it was always there, always kind of niggling at the back of my head, is we're crap at communicating. Like, we think we're good, but we're not. Because we don't, and you said that explicit, we're no explicit for A, what our needs are, or B, what our expectations are. And I don't know where that changed, you know. And I'm, you know, it's a very active dad and involved dad. It's like, how do you keep? I'm trying to think. How do you keep your kids confident enough, resilient enough, courageous enough to have that explicit conversation, to have that detailed, you know, this is what I'm expectation, but without being rude, or without being demanding, or, or without being you know, an asshole, you know, it's a tough one, you know, it, you know, because I think when you grow up in the world, um, there is an expectation, whether you it's felt yourself or you created yourself or whether society's creating for you, is you don't behave like that as an adult or you don't say certain things as an adult. And I've said for years and years and years and years and years is if adults learn to approach life as much with the innocence and curiosity as a child, and not take things so personally, we would all end up in a better place. But we end up taking it personally. <laughs> one of one
1: of the pieces of advice that I was called, I don't know what, how, I don't know the word that they use for me, but um, one time someone asked me on a public conversation, that someone asked me if you could give a piece of advice to the CEO and, and he, he or she the host picture picture this specific scenario i said have kids (laughs) my my advice my advice to that ceo would be as soon as possible have kids around him or her as soon as possible so that his or her perspective of her life and of her business his or her right their business or their lives changes immediately yeah that's why god (laughs) for me for me, exactly. It's like the conversation you mentioned before. For me, being being so blessed, not only to talk to these you know high-level executives, but at the same time to be able to have conversations with the kids. So often, not only my kids, but also those kids, those underprivileged kids. I I don't know any better way to be grounded. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I've never. I've never seen a better way to give <laughs> me to keep me completely. Grounded and on check, honestly,
0: they bring the best out in you, but they also can bring the worst out in you. Yeah, and it's I, unless you raise your level of awareness of the self, then you can get caught up in a huge kind of snowball. But yes, it is a game changer. I did not think about my mortality until I had children, and when the first one arrives, it's like hell. It completely changes that life responsibility. <laughs> it really does.
1: And into your question, sorry, I
0: interrupted you. No, no, cool. I was gonna say,
1: I was gonna say to answer your question, original question, right? I think it's a balance. It's a balance. I like to use, I like to use the word acceptance. Uh, as parents, well, number one, I believe that in reality, I believe, right? that kids choose their parents <laughs> before, they come, into, before they, come, you know, they come to earth. I think that they really choose their parents. And why do they do that? Because they really have to teach something to their parents. I oh, really yeah. believe, I really believe so. And also because I think that the parents can give them what they are missing out or what they are missing in order to become and do whatever they came to mm-hmm. do in this world. It's a, again, it's a, it's a reciprocity kind of law or relationship that they believe exists. Between. If you
0: are open, yeah. right? I mean, there's a, there's a couple of phrases I like, um, and it sounds kind of ha- Intellectual humility.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You got to know and embrace the fact that you don't know. As a parent, you got to really embrace the idea that it's a huge experiment. And that's one of the kind of philosophies I work with. You know, having come corporate, having been in the military, having I'd spent two decades doing root cause analysis and why things break. And you realize that the reality is everything is just an experiment. We're a result. What you do with the result is what makes the difference. And I've got the ideology is you adopt it. If it's working for you, you adapt it. If it's nearly there but you can also just abandon it and just leave it and go and try something else, do something different, but you just continue to move forward and don't get hung up on it. And when you talk to people about that, it's like, no, 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 it's not as, it's an experiment that is, you know, you need a license for a dog, but you don't need want to have a child. And most of what we taught and how to be a good parent is what you learn for your parents and You can have the shittiest parents on the planet. It doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean you need to be the parent. It doesn't mean you need to be the same dad that you had or mom that you had or all that kind of thing. It's a choice you make but it's a bloody hard choice. It's no an easy choice right? You know I, I, I remember when I first had kids and I was like, oh I've never had an argument with my child like Jesus God, how do you manage that? You know, I'm also, the ideologists don't say no. Why? The world says no. Your objective as a parent is to prepare your child to be the best human being they can possibly be in the world. You got to prepare them by saying no. You know? um, is it easy? God, it's no easy. Does it hurt sometimes? Yes, it does. Should I be better at it? Probably. But the only way I'm going to hurt less and get better at it is if I practice it. And that's the other thing is, is that every day is a learning day as a parent. And I think that, you know, every day is a day of change. Every day is, it's you adopt, adapt, abandon. And as a dad, you've got three. That technique doesn't work with that one. That technique doesn't work with that one. And it's like, why is it not working? Oh, (laughs) no. What's next? You know, how do you deal with that? Because I mean, you're out there in these communities, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'll guess, I mean, fortunate you're in a you're living a privileged lifestyle. You're in Plano, Texas. You've had all this worked hard for what you've got. And you Are you exposing your kids to these environments that you're going to? I have. Exactly. How how
1: did they deal with that? Well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a true story. Okay. So when I get to those places, when I go to Latin America, to those places, and it's me who's going to be there and it's Mm going to deliver the workshop and everything. I land in Mexico City. Let's say, just to give you an example, you know, one day I land in Mexico City and uh, I go to the main bus station as anybody else, low profile with my equipment, you know, my tripod, maybe one computer, two computers, you know, some batteries, because many times there's no electricity there, blah, blah, blah. And we jump into a bus and we have a six hours and a half bus ride, just to picture the, and I did that with my kid. I did that. I I always do that myself, but I I did that with one of my kids the first time we went together. Okay. Then we go into that remote community in the mountains blah 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 it's not sunny anymore it's it's, <laughs> it's you're in the middle of the of, of of a storm you know and then there's clouds and then everything is humid and we get to this small village and it's it's uh what's the name of this like the fur the, the every, every single day, one day a week there's this market this, yep. this, this, mm-hmm. this 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 local market in yep. place right and obviously it's a, it's a remote area and it's a rural area, indigenous community, everything. So it's smelly, it's not organized. The dogs are over there. The meats are being sold here, but next to the meats, there's dogs eating from the ground. From Okay, you picture this and it's gray and it's raining and everything. Yeah. My kid at that time, he was nine years old, I think he was. He started crying, daddy, I want to go back yeah. to the US tomorrow morning. This is not for me. I don't want to be here. I, and he was being loved and he was, I was holding his, mm-hmm. his hand and everything. That's not me, that that's not, that's not, I mean, I don't want to be here. And we, you know, I tried to go to eat something to the like mo- most luxurious hotel, excuse me, not hotel that doesn't exist there. Um, a restaurant, like, you know, a family run <laughs> yeah. restaurant, whatever mm-hmm. that was. Again, smelly, dirty, blah, 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 blah. You know, daddy, daddy, daddy. I, don't, I didn't like the food. Guess what? I didn't like the food. The, a week here no no you're insane you're insane <laughs> but guess what i mean he was in a passive mode right but then yeah. the following day we started very early the rest of volunteers joined us and then we went to that community we there was already everything almost set up for our you know first workshop and then he was in a creative mode he was in a mode in which he was co leading <laughs> literally i put him to co lead because all were kids so yep. he was another kid among the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody, I mean, typically all the kids ask me, Oh, what is that accent from? Although we speak Spanish, you know, what is that accent from? How did you get here with that accent? How did you get here? No, yeah, I get that
0: question on the team as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you get here? And 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 but then they ask questions also to my kid who was similar age, right? So it was like. They had like several little heroes that day, right? Because I mean, it was myself, it was my son, and he was literally helping me proactively. So he was he was handing out the booklets, and he was meditating with us, and he was you know you know every time some of the things that we do is we ask we ask the kids everybody to actually draw something on a, on a piece of uh, cardboard. So we want to really understand graphically how they feel. Okay, we're we're very we're very cautious about. The security of those kids, the safety of those kids. We never keep names. We never keep yep. ages. Nothing. It's only the local volunteers who know who we are talking about. But we, we carry no lists. Nothing. You know, if if if, some, if we ever have a breach, you know, security breach, nothing can be taken out of us that's going to relate us to a specific kids in a specific places. That will never happen. So after that, after that experience with my with with one of my kids, when he when we came back. He said, I would love to go back next time you go there. That I would love to go. With oh. you. I would love to go to. And something that happens also is that, you know, as you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Many, many executives reach out to me asking me, could we take our kids to those communities with you? Could they experience? I would love my kids to experience what you are explaining. I would love them to see what you see, what your kid has seen because the, my kids will never see that even if we go to mexico for vacation yeah. you know to you name it you know riviera maya cancun whatever that yeah. is they will never see this they will never be you know they will never know what is really going on in the world in other areas mm-hmm. and because what we see is common to 81 million kids in latin america 81 81000000 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 kids live under the threshold of poverty in Latin America, and 22 million kids in Latin America don't have drinking water at home. 22 million. Okay, I don't know how many. How many? What's the population of British Columbia? I have no idea.
0: Oh, it's about uh, five and a half million. Canada is okay, so, about 37 million.
1: Okay, so we remember. So just yeah. imagine twice, two times Canada, plus is the number of kids in need that exist in Latin America. Just think. Just just think about this. Just think about this. So, is this part of the reality? Well, it's almost fifty yeah. percent of the entire kids population in the in the in the in the, in the whole continent. Almost fifty percent of the of the entire kids population.
0: And if it's not us, who's going to do it? So, this one may be a kind of controversial question for you. When you are when you were talking about CEOs and their kids, is there's a how will we call it charity tourism Mm -hmm. or volunteer tourism there's there's an aspect out there that's kind of getting I'll say almost negative press is the way I'm seeing it and in some aspects I understand it is like you know you can show up for one shift and think oh that's me done my great thing now I get that you're on a charity and you this is no, you're not just showing up one week and disappearing and no going back forever you know just to make yourself feel good how do you get them past that or how do you make sure A, that it's not just let me get a feel good experience and shock my child into thinking you've got a good life but actually make a change how do you get how do you weed that person out and how do you continue to get something from them
1: Yes, it's it's like, it's it's by making sure that they co-create what we do. And I agree with you. I've seen many cases, and social media has a lot of examples of that. Like, exactly, charity tourism. You know, you go to a place, you take pictures, you take pictures with the unfortunate, yeah. with the unfortunate kids that live. Look, with at, oh, I've done my butt here. It's like. Exactly, exactly. So for us, it's crucial that everybody that comes with us co-creates what we do. And when you are an active part of the co-creation process of delivering that that's going to change the lives of those kids, things change. Things change because even if you don't speak Spanish, let's say, which is, which can be perfectly the case, you are still co-creating. You can teach some, you know, some lessons in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in English or you can, t- you can teach some words in English, excuse me, or you can try to learn some words from Spanish from the kids. Again, the kids will be glad to, to teach you something. Yeah, they they'll, will,
0: make, they'll make complete funny. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Oh, totally. Again, as, as you see, it's all about intertwining, it's all about le- learning from each other, but they have to be part of the creation process. It, they have to be part of the creation process. And, and obviously, I, I mean, there's again this safety things that we have to take care of. But as far as you're really w- w- wanting and w- willing and, and, and you really want to get your hands dirty and you are good with sleeping in a you know not so nice place for a week and and being to able to or being willing to um, not eat as much good food as you are used to for a week and being and becoming comfortable with the poverty and becoming comfortable with you know difficult situations again if there's those kids if those kids and that's the case again don't have the proper health assistance you see things that you have never seen before. This You see literally kids with diseases and kids with conditions, physical conditions that you've never seen before, just because you know they they don't they live in their own communities and they don't have the resources to get out of those communities.
0: Now, my I spent three years in a wee place called Gibraltar. Hmm. <laughs>
1: Sounds familiar.
0: You, you can kind of guess why I was there, um, but my I. What I say is, I was, I'll go for the, the word arrogant young man. I didn't learn any Spanish. I could order some coffee, some beer, some breakfast, a hotel kind of thing. That was my lot, right? Kind of wasted three years. I could have taken an opportunity there. So my Spanish is terrible. Now, zapato, does that make mm-hmm. any sense? Is that shoes? Yes. Right. So the reason I'm saying that is my wife, in, in between her, I think it was her undergrad year and her master's, <clears throat>, travelled on her own through Central America and volunteered in an orphanage in Costa Rica. And she says the faces of kids when, you know, somebody would show up with a crappy old pair of shoes. She did the wee thing and it was zapatos and they did a wee rhyme that would with the zapatos and I can't do it justice but it was just that idea is like, we could shoes, we could shoes, we could shoes, we get shoes. I was like, so happy to have a pair of shoes. You know, it's stuff that we take for granted. Um, it's definitely one of the ones, you know, trying to expose your kids in a way that grounds them. And there's another world out there that, A, you are fortunate, but don't look at it for the aspect as that you're fortunate. You can make a change. You can make an impact. Um, but one of the things I've used and just what you were saying is when you go to the kids, you're asking them what they want to do. I kind of took that to another level, at least with my kids, and I share it as much as possible, is how do you want to change the world? Right? Because when you look at how you want to change the world, what you do can be so vast, Right. And it, it, I think it broadens the horizon, you know. So, you know, you were seeing you, your kids saying, I want to be a drug cartel or I want to be in the military. You know, when you look at it, how you want to change the world, it becomes less about the job and more about you. Yeah. You know, so I use that one with my kids. Do they come up with a real answer? Sometimes, you know. I've got a nine-year-old that all of a sudden last year decided she wanted to become an actress. She wanted to make people happy like, okay, cool. How do we figure out to do that? Next year, it might be something completely different. But you just kind of have to look at that and embrace that. And another one you you touched on was self-esteem. How do you determine self-esteem versus self-worth? And do you talk about both of them when you go into your communities? Great question. Again, we've really done...
1: um, we don't talk about the difference between both of them, just, just because, um, you know, we have to make sure that in the least amount of time we cover the ground as much ground Mm -hmm. as, as we can. Right. But I think that the implicitly, um, I think, I I believe personally that the quality of one's life is the quality of the questions that we ask ourselves. So that's why, you know, podcast conversations and interviews are so powerful. So, so powerful. So uh, when we were talking about when we were thinking of what questions to ask regarding what they want to be when they grow mm-hmm. up, right? In Spanish, we actually ask it, and what what do you want your profession to be when you grow up? Because we want to make sure that we talk their language, we they speak their language. But uh, we we definitely, you know, we we would definitely like to know what they would like to do without having to put that answer in a box of profession. Yeah, right, because they know. What are the most common professions? Besides those two, it's nurse, it's prof, it's teacher, it's doctor, right, and it's police officer. Those are the most common answers we get, literally consistently, consistently. So when we, um, I talk a lot about self-esteem, but in reality, when our meditation, which is the the, the most Powerful um, NLP activity that we carry out during our workshop is about self-worth, and we have all those, you know, affirmations Affirmations in Spanish, in which I can accomplish anything, I can do anything with my life, you know, I have the possibility or I have the power. Excuse me, I have the power of achieving everything I want to become. This kind of things or becoming everything. So it's a 20-minute meditation and. Needless to say, that's not going to surprise you because you have three kids and you you also you also are very disruptive and unconventional in the way that you conduct yourself. But just a wee bit. <laughs> as you can, as you can imagine, kids are natural in meditating.
0: Yeah. Natural,
1: I... like natural. It's like as if the same way they love to throw a ball, they meditate. The problem is that nobody tells them how to do it or nobody ever suggests
0: them to do it nobody explains to them what it actually is for a lot of tense. I mean, in British Columbia, where we are, there's a lot of progressive stuff happening and things like that. But meditation is something I got into well, a couple of decades ago before it became, before it moved at the yoga studios and kind of became hip. And it was like all the gurus out projecting it. I was doing meditation. I'd learned the John Cabot Zen, you know, uh, catastrophic living, stuff like that. I try and teach it to my kids. But what a lot of people, and me, I think men in particular, struggle with it, is being at peace inside their head. And the Andy Puddy come and his Headspace app, and nobody, I'm no affiliate with anything like that. Um, I, I like him. He does a really good job. But there's so many men think, oh, it needs to be quiet. No, it doesn't. And when you watch a kid, meditation is just about allowing thoughts to come, and thoughts to go, and no dwelling something. And if you actually stand back and watch your kids sometimes, they're not technically sitting in that whole Buddha meditation pose, but the practice that they're up to, it could be in a colouring book, it could be doing a craft, it is meditative. They are in their own world. It's like, hello, is anybody in there? Is anybody in there? And I think sometimes as parents, when we need things, I would like something to happen, or you're getting called for dinner. And it's like, oh, oh. It's like, oh. Realizing that they're in that zone, you know, the stuff that everybody's there talking about, flow and talking about zones. Our kids get there way more naturally and easier than we do because they just let things go a lot of the time. Whereas we overcomplicate it by overanalyzing it and getting in our head and rumination and. And fitting in,
1: and fitting in. Yeah. You you see that. I mean, for me, one of the most important, you know, dangers of our educational system is that need that all the kids have to develop, like to fit in, to fit in. and, and you see that and you speak i mean you speak to your kids and you will know yep. there's plenty of things that they say because they have learned it because unless they they have and unless they do it in a particular way they will be told they will be even bullied if they don't fit mm-hmm. in you know so yeah they have to cope with this social pressure that comes from the system and comes from society from the educational system and the society by the way i mean i have Lots of relatives who are teachers, school teachers, okay? So have nothing against the system. But I'm just saying what it is. The need to fit in, unfortunately, is making the kids focus on things which are not relevant for the significance of their existence
0: in their lives. It's not. But we do I, the same. As adults, we yeah. seek out that comfort. Exactly. Because we, we are... a clan-based, tribal-based, whatever word you want to use for that that fits your narrative, you know? No offence to anybody out there. I use clan. I'm Scottish. You know? It has some negative connotations in North America. Mine's spelt by a C. You know? That's just what it is.
1: Yeah, um, it, is, it is what it is. But what um what the point I was trying to make is that Meditation, becoming comfortable with silence, becoming mm-hmm. comfortable with closing your eyes, staying still, or lying down, or whatever that is, that's such an important habit. Going inside instead of going outside. Becoming aware of their breath. Becoming aware of the entire breathing in their, in their, in their, in their body. Becoming aware of their belly. Becoming aware of the heartbeat. All those things are so relevant and so important for their future. We should be, I mean, when we say we have to make a decision, we are fear of making a decision, right? We say, well, I have to I have to sleep on it, right? In reality, we should really meditate and we should look inside and we should say, okay, you know, And but who does that? We say, I have to meditate on this, but we really never meditate on this. Yeah. We just put our head onto it. We put our head, right? We put our head with all those limiting beliefs and everything and this survival mode you know, in order to survive in this plane, you know, we are animals a little bit more smart than other animals, you know, that they still are, you know, crawling on four feet and everything. But we should be aware that most of the answers reside within, in order to make important decisions in our lives. You know, your daughter wants to become a, uh, or might want to be an actress, and maybe my daughter wants to be a, like a a gymnast or a cheerleader, (laughs) whatever that is, you know, and wonderful. Let's support them and and let's make sure that, you know, exactly. We support them and they become, you know, trustworthy people and they become, you know, good-hearted, but also they can defend themselves. They can really be in the world and they can be themselves and they can make a living and they can defend themselves, you know, literally. That's, that's That's one of our more important roles, and that's something that we also face when we go to teach kids underprivileged kids. That's it's, let's say, typically their environments. Depending on where it is, if it's a mm-hmm. rural area or indigenous communities, it's 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 safe socially speaking. But in suburban communities or even urban communities, it's 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 different, obviously, because they are exposed to more information, more information. Um, so, it's a balance. It's a balance, all the time. It's a
0: balance. So that just kind of triggers another oh, wrong word, triggers. Uh, it just kind of prompts another question in my head. So you, you just went oh, suburban, urban, rural, and then indigenous. Do you see differences as you go through these communities in the family dynamics? Um, great question. Great. Well, there's a lot of differences. Well, number
1: one, the most obvious difference is the rates of poverty. The rates of poverty. Okay. Typically, historically, you know, Population would go from the countryside yep. to the city in order to have, you know, something to eat and something to work on, and etc. We see the same thing. So, you know, in 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 cities is twenty five percent the rate, the poverty rate. It goes to fifty percent suburban, seventy five percent rural, and ninety five percent in indigenous communities. But interestingly enough, the ones that live in the Poorest communities are the ones who are more attached to the ground, more attached to earth, more attached to the trees, to the mountains, to the stones, to the rivers, to the streams, which makes the experience for us even more genuine. So the families tend to be um, more, I would say, more structured in rural communities because mm-hmm. the value of a, of a family, the value of the institu- as an institution is a stronger even though sometimes we see that they, they, there are literally generations that have been skipped like grandmas and grandpas take care of the kids we see that yep. a lot mm-hmm. because the parents are working the fields for the entire week right we see that so but the importance of the institution of the values and principles of those kids are stronger because they live more grounded really literally which is, which is awesome, which is amazing for us. And and so for us is also, you, you spoke about an orphanage in Costa Rica. We love to go to those communities because our impact is, 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 is much higher because we know that it's 95% of poverty. So everything that we do in that area is gonna have a, a tremendous impact, local impact in themselves, their families, and their communities. Um, so that's why we, we definitely like to go there. But about the orphans, it's a very. It's a, there's a very interesting stat about the orphans, which is also related to these indigenous communities. I'm going to and you're going to understand why now. Orphans. Many studies show that orphans have a likelihood. Poor orphans have a likelihood of becoming successful in their lives. I think it's is it four times, five times more than poor kids that have live in a structured family. You know why? Because of the re- continuous reinforcement of their relatives unfortunately the people that live in poor areas and they don't know any better they continuously reinforce those limiting beliefs and lot and limiting possibilities for the for their life the life of those kids consistently continuously because they don't know any better yep okay but the, but the orphans, that part makes sense yeah but the orphans you know eventually you know when they become like 18 years old whenever it is that you know they're not orphans anymore and they can you know uh, they don't have this reinforcement. They have to. They, they have a more, let's say, um, how to say this, a more internal reach life. They have to go into themselves much more often than the other ones that have more like uh, interruptions, distractions, stimuli coming from the outside. So we really, really. I mean, we obviously like like, like to go everywhere, but we love to go to places where which are rural or which are indigenous communities because of that, because of the impact and because of the values and because of the, something else, which is the resources, again, local resources, Mm -hmm. those areas have so many resources. It's funny how the areas with, with less uh, connection to technology have the most resources. And with those resources, you can really build a lot of things. You can have bracelets, you can have stones, you can have meteorites, you can have precious gems, you can have fruits, you can have, you know, um, trees. I mean, there's so many things that you have around you that they consider it's normal. They never thought of, oh, maybe I could make a business out of this. Then, you know, so that's why those areas are just incredible for us as a, as a, as a place where people are in general so grounded and the kids are so grounded that they are also so grateful about all the possibilities that we allow them to discover we we just we just help them discover grant you know we're not we're not we're not going there to tell them or teach them we are going them there excuse me to allow
0: them to discover themselves and their own and their own communities it's almost like an awakening at that point i was thinking you were saying about if, if you're in an indigenous community and you don't have a ton of ex, external exposure to the world is like, unless somebody tells you, you can sell that or do that. It's something you're taking for granted that exists around you. It's like, Oh, somebody would buy that. And, but then you get to the next step as though, how do you get it out the community? So are you guys involved in that and how they're going to the local? Yeah. The local volunteers are the ones that help them
1: like coach that particular kid, those particular kids, or those particular, you know, families to be able to do that. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, formal things that have to be done. Um, The informality sometimes helps us. Mm -hmm. The informality of the economy sometimes helps us. Others, others, unfortunately, does not. But we always try to obviously make sure that don't don't take any risks. Make sure that you add value to the people that want to take it, you know, and uh, right now, actually, we're working on a on a sales workshop, <laughs> because you know, I mean, we've obviously the founders we have uh, we have worked the other two founders besides the the, the professor of teachers, right? Uh, we have worked in the business world and in the entrepreneurial world, let's with startups and large business and corporations that we want the we want them to sell this, right? We want them to yep. have the feeling we are generating revenue, we're generating income, we're generating wealth, that's worth it. We want them to have early, you know, we want them to have early wins, so that they feel that what they're doing is really worth it. You know, and sometimes, also, those communities, they have, you know, some, uh, um, some touristic like real touristic presence sometimes so you know we make sure hey where should you put your your sm- small booth where would you put your table so that you could have some people buying this from you you know how 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 you have to do it that's why you know sales the power of, of the ability or the yeah. skill to put your, pro- your your product or 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 your service out there so that you get money for it it's it's important and that's actually that's, uh, that's one of the skills it's like when you when you're when you're a startup and you're working on your minimum viable product or service and you start talking to potential clients right i mean all that all those things yeah. you have to translate them to the reality of the place where you're going that's mm-hmm. what we do and obviously that's that's easy for us we just have to transform it into terms that the locals understand it and again I mean, obviously they are very intuitive they're very close to the ground I mean it's when you are when you are in survival mode mm-hmm. you un- you understand these things very fast
0: grant very Scar- fast scarcity breeds creativity it breeds resourcefulness so,
1: and when you are in survival yeah. mode again those kids understand things much faster than even our kids literally it sounds like like it's it's it, it that it cannot be but it's it's a paradox really it's, it's 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 a paradox these kids might understand things much faster than our own kids because of the level of their needs you know if you if you think about you know the pyramid
0: uh, yep. for it, maslow maslow yep.
1: exactly yep. It's, it's the same thing it's the same thing so yeah i mean we're extremely extremely blessed to be able to be on on check all the time with Just, with interacting with them
0: that's kind of cheap Cheap, like this kind of you, know, you know I mean travel volunteers resources how, how are you funding or how is the fund how do you fundraise for wisdom for kids? Yes, so basically I mean we, obviously we have a website that we
1: conduct campaigns in Facebook and in, in directly on our website uh, we do telethons from time to time so we interview people we talk about kids. And then we, we, we use that as a as a as a way to raise awareness, so that you know people know that we, what we do, that, that they do, they know what we do, and also um, we obviously all all of us three and our families and relatives and close people, you know, they're all all the time helping us with, with the funding, right? As as, any, as anything else, you know, we all have a, we're all investing, you know, a large amount of resources onto this. All, all the founders and relatives
0: ultimately where do you want to take it where yeah. do you guys the founders want to take it where do you want to see it become yeah so the the main challenge obviously the main challenge
1: is what has happened in the world for the last 12 to 14 months our yeah. volunteers our volunteers unfortunately have reported us that even though they are local they have not seen the kids for a year can you imagine that because i mean again you know i mean we are resourceful right i mean we can do this or that we can depending on the country or the or the state of the province where you live you have certain you know restrictions or not you know that depends on every single country and state but but for us to go to specific areas where you need to stay there for 14 days for to quarantine and maybe then after that you need another 14 days to quarantine when you come back so but there's communities where actually you have to show certain documents to move from one community to another community to justify that you're moving around so but the real challenge that we really want to accomplish is obviously to empower the local volunteers and to be able to scale how do we make the organization sustainable that's yep. the main mm-hmm. that's the main goal so the main goal is how do we how are we able to replicate the model as fast as possible so that we and also i mean not only with our time but also with our resources yep. our resources can only reach where we, we are able to reach right but what about the rest do all do the rest of the volunteers necessarily have the resources to put to invest as much as we do? The answer is no. But there's a lot of people that really want to use their time to, to benefit their local communities. So that's the main challenge. The main goal is how do, we, how do we scale up fast enough to be able to cope with the current situation, with the future normality, whatever that looks like? and and and, uh, and obviously keep on making a difference in the world. We started with Mexico because it's the closest, two of the co-founders are in Mexico. It's also the closest to, to the US, to Texas where I live. And uh, we, we get a lot of donations of books, a lot of donations of books. There's authors that have given us hundreds, hundreds of books, literally new books in English. And then there's communities that suddenly, there's indigenous communities that suddenly have English books. And you go there and you say, how did you get this book from a lady that lives in Maryland or lives in, 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 in Connecticut, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so we, we try to keep our, obviously our expenses low. Um, we have an airline which is helping us also, uh, you know, support this uh, shipments of uh, books. Uh, there is local schools here in Dallas that have donated hundreds of books. Uh, so we, t- we try to move resources around also ourselves because we believe that you know, hard copy books are still going to be necessary in our world for centuries. Forever. Uh, exactly.
0: Ever. We are human Absolutely. beings. We are tactile. We like to touch things. Totally. I, I mean, I do use Audible. I admit mm-hmm. that, but it's for a very particular kind of book. Mm-hmm. But um, if I'm reading if I'm reading fiction, I love, a, just give me a book. You know, they like touch and feel, and yeah. totally, totally. You know, um, but totally. again, I'm old school. You know, um, but I try and en- encourage that love of reading to my kids, and two out of three are readers. The third one kind of struggles with it a wee bit. Um, and it's one of the things that I, that I decided to do. You know, all the all business people are like, "Oh, you got to write your books. You got to write your books." And I'm like, "What kind of business book would I write?" And how would that actually add to the world that would make any real difference? And I'm like, well, I looks to that. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. I want to write kids books. So I actually have written one kid's book, but I'm nice. she, she trying to get an illustrator to kind of illustrate the way I want it to look and feel. But the, the ideology behind the book is all about the sheepdog lifestyle. And I'm taking real aspects of how my kids live and the things that they encounter and telling that as a, kids book story and the idea is to deepen the strength in that family unit thing because reading i think is so powerful education is powerful and you seem to be proliferating that and taking that into these communities like you gotta know or get to a point is that when you don't know what you don't know education is what takes us into that next level so it brings that level of possibility and but then in my head i go oh but if you do educate and then bring a realisation, does it change the happiness? Because like you say, as you go to the, the uh, an Indigenous community and they're happier and they're more community-based and there's all this positive aspects, I think, I'll use the term the West and, you know, we live in. It's like the, some of the things we say we want, but does educating somebody then change that happiness? And I know that sounds nuts, and it sounds like, no, just keep them there. It's the exact opposite. It's where I go as a dad. It's like, so if you do this, what's the cause and effect? Cause and effect. So what have you seen, you know, when you're raising this level of awareness, when are introducing your books, how does it change the community?
1: Um, I have a very nice video in which I am actually reading Translating one of the, you know, tale books um, from English into Spanish to three unfortunate kids, uh, and it's one of the most amazing videos I've I've ever shot uh, myself while doing what we do at Wisdom for Kids. Um, it generates a lot of so this is this is what happens. Okay, so in reality, again, when the rubber hits the road. Yeah, the right, right. Exactly. <laughs> What's the so,
0: reality of it? I can sit here and ask and wonder and contemplate, but when what, you go actually there, what are you seeing. Yeah, so when, when you go there and you bring and you bring books what
1: happens is that number one everybody starts to say okay so who's going to teach English to those kids who's going to be reading right so what happens immediately is that uh, the community itself starts looking for resources from which they can benefit so they they can understand those again it's it's kids books it's children's books mm-hmm. it's they're like very easy to translate right and so the the, the adults, Immediately start their own journey to be able to explain those books to those kids. Okay. So, so that's the number one thing that happens. Second, if there's teachers involved of some sort, then they use additional resources. They go to the actually to the local authorities and they say, "Hey, could you send us some basic language English language books that you could send to us as teachers, so that we could start learning English and we could teach those because we just been we have just been given hundreds of books." for our communities right for our community and we would like to teach them and number 3 i mean let me tell you you don't need much to teach english to those kids because it's again it's it's, it's it, those are children's books right so you know large pictures only a few words per page yep. right again i haven't I haven't seen your book yet <laughs> maybe a while before you did yeah, yeah. but <laughs> and, and then you read it two or three times, you translate it two or three times, they already know what those words mean if they are with you or watching the the book. Again, it's their magic. It's that I always say the same thing against my own, right? Against against my own, um, um, what is the, uh, reputation, which is it's us, the parents, who screwed up at the kids. You know, I'm fully aware of that. Yeah. I am totally fully fully aware of that. So that's why... Actually, as parent, I always think that it's a fight against myself, with my wife, right, along with my wife, to make sure that we screw our kids the less, uh, you know, as less as possible. <laughs> exactly. It, really, honestly. Because our, with our yeah. boxes and our preconceived ideas yeah. and our education and everything, even if you've traveled the world and if you're very open-minded, regardless, you still have those limiting beliefs and you want to put your kid in a box for the sake of security, right? For the sake of uh, survival, for the sake of uh, you name it. But still, the kids know much more than us. And they are much more ready to learn. And they are much more ready to embrace and absorb new knowledge and new wisdom than us so let's do it let's keep on putting that wisdom let's keep on bringing the wisdom for those kids consistently because they are going to embrace it consistently and systematically just a matter of how much we can do ourselves with our organization moving forward that's the that's the challenge so are there any organizations you partner with that's a great question so because at at some point as we have Again, we know what our uh, strengths are and we know mm-hmm. what our yep. weaknesses are. So we have already partnered with two which are uh, healthcare oriented. Okay, cool. Because, because they, 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 when we go to a community, as you can imagine, we literally change it. And, and we live as anchors. We, we leave booklets and we leave other things for the for the teachers and everything or for the community leaders. But we always say the same thing. After we, we do a specific action here or initiative here, what if after a few hours there would be another nonprofit that could do something else? Mm-hmm. Could do some visual work, could do some dentistry work, could do you know? So the answer is yes, and now we are actually moving into more of a of a, even a, a corporate initiatives because there's some corporate okay is, yeah is like, uh, in which I know that well there are several initiatives out there that bring bring entire like uh, leadership teams of corporations with mm-hmm. their families to those areas to actually perform a specific, you know, building a house, building a a school, doing something like this, or, or, or building a reservoir, something like this. So we are thinking of how we can partner even more with other organizations. Again, our obsession is outreach. Our obsession is outreach. How do we scale up? How do we make this sustainable? How do we partner up with more people that can do more things? We are great door openers, Grant. We yep. are great door openers. We have this ability to really open the doors in those communities. People believe in us. We have many examples, many testimonials, many case studies, let's say. The thing is, how do we bring more and more and more
0: value to teach those kids how to fish, right? Yeah. Again, that triggers one of the thought processes. Coming from a business perspective, you know, are you no afraid of spreading yourself too thin? And it sounds kind of selfish, right? That's because I get that if you impact our community and leave it, but how do you get to the point as, and how do you determine where enough is enough to leave them with a solid foundation before you go to the next one? You know, Because being in business, and I'm sure you've advised CEOs, don't spread yourself too thin. Don't try and be everything to you. Yeah, I
1: agree.
0: Focus sometimes is what so can we, we really, really make the
1: change? So for we you, how are be, you feeling in that one? That's a great question. And let me tell you that the answer is that we have to be really compassionate with ourselves. Okay. So because at the end of the day, as, I mean, you, you can do as much as you can do. Yeah. And to your point. So we rely very much uh, on our volunteers to make those kinds of decisions. Because again, as much as we know specific areas where we have visited maybe mm-hmm. two or three times, Yep. we want to be extremely respectful of the time and the effort and the resources of everybody right so we take very very seriously the opinion of our of our of our volunteers in the field and what they really can do and what they really want to do with the resources that they have available exactly so I mean to your point um, it's a matter of time it's a matter of how yeah. do you how do you devote your time that's why partnerships are are, are a very serious you know a bet that we are making other organizations that can can like be at the you know at the tail end right of of what we do and then piggyback on what we do yep. and ad, ad additional additional work again we are so f- focused also on the security part of it uh, like with, with the, the yep. due diligence the due diligence process of those organizations is very important Right, so we try to partner up also with local charities, but it's not always the case. For instance, one of the charities, one one of the organizations that we partnered up with, is actually a, a local school. They are like three hours away. It's a it's a it's a college. It's a kind of rural college, but they have a lot of um, um, you know uh, uh, um, dentists. Gotcha. So yep. so so you know they they actually do lots of different actions in the area. And, and it was a, like a pretty obvious thing. So they know the area. Actually, one of the dentists actually was originally from that indigenous community. So everything helped out. Um, the more, again, as you, as you also, you a stretching thing, exactly, it's, it's, a very lo- it's a very broad term, but try to keep resources locally so that it's much easier to engage with them. It's much easier to speak with them, to communicate with them. They speak the same language and they're also again don't forget that because it's very important they're very respectful with their culture with the local mm-hmm. culture yes we're not just i mean you you've been a military right in the military so we just we're not just you know arriving there in parachutes you know we're not being parachuted there you know you know what i mean yeah, I, i'm i'm well aware you know okay what I mean? so that's not that's not who we are we're not there like to you know we're like in and out we're not we're not the special ops okay yeah. <laughs> we're not the special operations you know, we are there doing the groundwork and, and that's, that's, why we're, that's, that's why we exist. We are, we are there to really change the lives of those kids and their communities. Cool.
0: I'm kind of like, I could go on. You know, I don't think I've touched on a couple of things. I'm going to leave, I'm going to ask you two questions and I'll wrap okay. up here. But there's one of the ones that, and I think I heard you saying before, I took a quick look at something take imperfect action it's kind of almost like one of your mantras how do you I mean so the wisdom for kids it's aside how are you teaching that to CEOs and all these other people because it's been my experience is uh they don't like that ideology
1: yeah I think that there's different avenues of thought and um we obviously CEOs lead, I mean, it depends on the size of the organization, but they carry the burden of making sure that they deliver consistently value to the shareholders. right? And also they have to lead a team. So there's no gap or the gap between what they want to do and what the team does is the closest as possible, right? It's the smallest as possible. So um, depending on, I mean, they, they lead, let's say in general, they lead complexity that that's what they yep. do they the are used to yeah. lead exactly but at the same time i think that the most adventurous organizations are the ones that try the most and also the ones that are more successful okay that's why it's it's always been my mantra for both entrepreneurs and for corporate c levels taking imperfect action now means that you know you take calculated risks but you take action immediately uh, i remember having a conversation let me tell you another story with a, with the director of a business accelerator of a very famous college in the north of the country, in Boston, okay? It's the number one, actually, they have the number one degree worldwide in entrepreneurship. And I was talking to her already five years ago, and she was telling me right now, Angel, only with $15,000, we are able to launch startups that are going to disrupt the world forever. Two, three, five years ago, with less than $250,000, it was impossible. So the ability of people to really make a big difference in the world with less money has increased dramatically in the last few years. And the more soft that we become, you've probably heard that yeah. every single company is going to become a software company, right? Because there's all this soft part is going to be leading the development and the future of that company.
0: I'm a hardware engineer. Fighting. Okay, good. Trust all right. Me. Nothing so we, hardware Disney work with its software and software is no good unless it's got hardware to run on. Exactly. <laughs> But you
1: you you and you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So so the the fast the fastest the faster you meet your potential future clients, the better. And that's that's why my mantra is taking perfect action now. I think that if you whatever it is the endeavor, whatever it is the challenge, whatever it is the venture, whatever it is the product or the service, the sooner it hits the road, the rubber hits the road, the sooner that you are able to see the feedback from the potential clients, prospects, partners, vendors, suppliers the better the
0: understanding of that product or your service. That's why, regardless. So I I said I was only going to ask two questions, but I kind of leave some things. So the first one would be, why does everybody want to be a disruptor? You don't need to build something to disrupt something. You can build something to add something. You can build something to enhance something. You can build something to complement something. It doesn't always have to be disruption. But everybody's out there saying, I'm going to disrupt the industry. Well, the chances are 99% of it, you're not. But, yeah, I mean, disruption, I mean, it's about
1: words, right? I mean, it's about the meaning that we give to words. Is it just a
0: buzzword that we like to throw out there? Yes, I I do think so.
1: And in the same way that, for instance, I don't like blast and blasting and email blasting and I love marketing by the way and I think it's one of the most unfortunate terms ever invest invented in any industry like blasting people nobody wants to be nobody wants to be blasted exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> right but disrupting has other connotations and that's and I and probably it's the other kind of connotations because disrupting means that you are really thinking out of the box just yesterday it was the world day of uh, innovation and creativity just yesterday. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's it's, by the way, it's April, 2021 for our audience and, um, how important it is that you really put yourself outside the box where you have, you are already thinking about the next thing and you think in terms, okay, so if I really wanted to change that dramatically, what would that be? I, I like the connotation and the meaning behind the word disruption as far as obliges you to completely change the frame of reference from which you are creating that's why i like the term
0: okay see see i can get behind that Mm -hmm. but what i've just saying again in my limited sphere is it's typically no used in that term right Mm -hmm. um in that aspect so that that was definitely one so remember
1: uh, but remember i mean to your point but remember that when are we i mean if you ask your kids how much of a collaboration are you being taught versus how much of a competition Right, how many times is collaboration used or cooperation used in our schools versus competition? Right? How many times? <laughs> I mean, again, do, do our kids really learn how to collaborate proactively? I can tell you. I can tell you when when I talk to 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 entrepreneurs, let's say the, the starting point of those future large corporations, yeah. nobody's being taught how to collaborate.
0: There's really. a lot of consensus building. Yeah, but I mean. Is it there? But, Is but it really you, there? I found even in corporate, there was a lot of people would misinterpret or misuse the word collaboration when really yeah. they weren't really talking about collaboration. They were talking about consensus. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, they
0: were talking about group think a lot of the time. Absolutely. But I'm a perfectionist, right? And a lot of people out there and say, oh, perfectionism, Disney real, and does Disney exist. It exists, right? It's who I am. And it was, it was for a lot of my life, it was a good thing. I worked in radar and comms for airplanes. You needed to be a perfectionist. You did and you Fuck that stuff up. People died. And then I moved into quality and reliability. I had to be a perfectionist. I was raising standards for stuff getting manufactured and shipped to improve customer experience. They were good for me. My perfectionism worked well as like, What's the next level up? I thought it was incremental. But as I've taken the step out of that corporate world and equality and the military and these sort of things, I struggle with that perfectionism, procrastination, paralysis thing. I know all the rules. I know things like how do you get somebody like these entrepreneur guys you are dealing? with, maybe help me out? How do you get them to get, really get to the idea? the calculated risk of imperfect action is better than inaction. How do you make them see that and push them forward?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a very practical guy. I'm the guy that really goes and holds their hand in the beginning. And I go yep. and I have these conversations with them and I show up in all the conversations in the beginning. I, I'm I, you know, I, and I ask the, the weird questions in the meetings kind of things. <laughs> I'm yeah. that guy. Hands up. Uh, exactly. Uh. Exactly. Exactly. Any 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 question? Yes, I have the question. You know? So exactly. So it's when they see. It's you know, the same thing I was. I mean, again, we are human beings, right? So it's this early wins. It's these mm-hmm. early wins. When they see that this really makes sense, when you see that you have market feedback, it's like one of the services, speaking about pivoting and taking perfect action last year. I decided to start like using my influence to support someone else's business. So I started to post, you know, content and and value and proposals Mm -hmm. and, and value propositions of other companies and charge them for this, right? And so in the beginning, I was a little bit nervous as anybody else, but I started doing it. Guess what? In only one day, one shot, one post, you get literally 20, 30, 40 people providing you with market feedback. How valuable is that? And, and, and a very yeah. early stage. At a very early stage. Yep. If you if you take it to a specific people, like a very targeted, segmented mm-hmm. audience, and you get again and, and, and again the people
0: people really like to help, remember? I, I genuinely people, believe they do, yes. I think they're scared into thinking there's a big, bad, evil world out there, and everybody's out to get one. And I get you, caught up in it myself, right? Thinking, screw this. <laughs> But I, I know enough to take a step back, and I actually came out in podcast last week i done with Sal Frizzella from uh, First Form. Mm-hmm. He said that. He says, I do not buy into this aspect that it's evil dog-eat-dog dog out there right now. He says, I see good in the world. I see the ability to help, to bring people on board, all okay. different walks of life, you know, all these kind of things. And when you bring them together in the right way, they genuinely want to help one another. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're bombarded so often with the aspect as is no no no, it's every man for himself. It's a zombie apocalypse. Let's just do it. Oh, totally,
1: totally. And, and when there's no apocalypse, then there's other reason. And there's another reason. Yeah. And then this kind of people is 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 killing these other kind of people, or you name it. There's infinite ways in which you can divide, because if you can guess what. Yeah. And you are an engineer. Guess what I studied in my second semester of uh, computer engineering back in Barcelona? There was a, an amazing algorithm to solve problems, which was called con- divide and conquer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> True. Yeah. You're stronger you know, together. You know, great believer so, in that one as
1: well. So, so, exactly. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think that rubber hits the road, see exactly what happens, see exactly what the outcomes of, the, of that experience. of that initiative is and then you take it from there and then you can course correct adopt adapt, abandon yeah exactly 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 and again be compassionate with yourself and don't don't be so hard don't be so hard with yourself okay don't be so hard with yourself it's good that you are a type b type c type d type it's okay yeah it's okay again be compassionate with yourself move on Focus your energy on something else that's going to bring you more. I
0: I think that there's, there's a a really, 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 you know, just key takeaway is like, you gotta give yourself a break.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: We're our hardest critics, we sometimes have to get our own way. And I doubt anybody out there in the world is going to say anything to me that I haven't said to myself before or berate me in a way I haven't berated myself before. So what the hell am I worried about? It's like, Yeah, I've done that, heard that, it's been in here. Rummy's run about that for a long time, you know? So I normally say to you, just kind of let it go, and we just explore where it wants to go. I've got my one canned question, and I'm still formulating it. But the idea is, is that what's the one thing that people really don't know about you that you wish they would? That's a
1: great question. You're going to make me think. Um, that's a great question. Things that people don't know about me and I wish they knew. Um... um <laughs> maybe things I do for changing my state because as anybody else, I'm a human being and some, yep. I'm not always as upbeat and, and, and passionate about things, you know, things that help me to, to really stay at, on top of my game. People probably don't know like having a cold shower for the last four years, every single day, regardless if I am in, in uh, Alberta, in Alberta, like in the middle of the winter, I, I still will have yep. a cold shower and again. I don't know what a warm shower is unless I go to a warm country and that's the only option. You know, like I, I, I really like to to dance wild, dance and electronic music uh, on my earbuds in order to change my state. I just...
0: Are you an electronic, are you an EDM guy? No way.
1: And I have a DJ table. I have a DJ table and I make my own mixes.
0: Awesome. So, oh, I do, need, oh, you need to send me one. I'm an EDM guy. I have been, look at that move through electronic oh. music in the 80s and EDM. I was like, yeah. So
1: if I tell you that one of the highlights of my stay in the UK when I was living in the UK was going every single Saturday night to the Ministry of Sound, you will understand it.
0: <laughs> yep, totally.
1: You will understand me, right? Oh, so, golly. So yeah, so maybe, maybe those are two things. And just to say, guys, that not only try to – I mean, you, you will never be able to stop the chatter, right? But you no. can always – Try to create things and put yourself in places that you know are going to change your state. And this, this is, these are just two examples I've been doing it. I've been doing it for a long, long time and they still keep on working. And 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 that I, I, I want to know, I, want, I would like everybody to know that regardless of my experience, regardless of what I've done in the world or I keep on doing in the world, I'm just a human being as you are. And I need to go back to the basics and I have developed my own ways to... <laughs> To, you know, to be excited and to, and to be probably to be, to be um, um, more looking at the world from my heart and not from the outside, looking, looking inside, looking for answers inside, really, really meditating, you know, yeah. from the inside, because believe it or not, when I'm dancing like Matt by um... myself... You know, when huge I'm dancing, believer
0: dance, huge yes, believer in it.
1: when I'm dancing, even if you think the music is disruptive and blah, 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 blah. No way. I am on another planet. I am in another dimension when I'm dancing. And, you know, this gives me really one of those, you know, people ask me, when do you get
0: inspired? That's one of the moments when I get inspired. Yeah. That's Yeah, one. Um, it's one of the things before I jump on a podcast or before I jump on any interview, I crank up the music in my office. Awesome. And I dance, and awesome. I do not care. Exactly. You know? It's if I'm you know, Fridays are one of the I love I enjoy cooking as well. So, Me so my wife works for home, but the days that the music has to be on and Friday nights, one of those nights, it's just what it is. Um, I'm a big fan of Above and Beyond, you know, AGBT. Yeah, that's absolutely. Fr- that's Friday night's podcast. Yeah, end of the day. Wrapping up a Friday afternoon here, EGBT goes on and, and it goes on upstairs when I'm cooking as well. My wife is not a dance music fan, not an ADM fan at all. Right. And I'm just I'm in the kitchen totally, boom, boom, boom. totally, totally. Yeah, my kids think not <laughs> it's wow. uh, you know, we can't have spoken about it, yeah. let me
1: tell you. Yeah. So awesome. Just, it's just a coincidence.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Um absolutely. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me,
1: Grant, really. Thank you for having me. What a great conversation. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much. Totally. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, who's listening to us. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers.